Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. You've heard the rumors before, perhaps in whispers, written between the lines of the textbooks. Conspiracies, paranormal events, all those things that disappear from the official explanations. Tune in and learn more of the stuff they don't want you to know in this video podcast from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. I love England. Yeah, we're partying outside of the Britannia pub. It's uh, Saturday, September 8th, 1888. Right, Chuck? Yeah, I feel a little funny in my modern clothes, but uh, everyone seems to accept us. Yeah, they're uh, pretty wasted, Chuck. I don't think they've noticed yet. Yes. Uh, we, uh, We came back here because we're about to stumble upon the second victim of Jack the Ripper. And uh, please don't hold it against us. Part of our contract for use of the Wayback Machine is that we can't actually prevent any historical occurrence from happening. Right. Doc Brown uh, says that we could not prevent the crime, so we won't even try. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, Annie Chapman, but uh, uh, it sounds like, here we go, Chuck. Police! Did you hear that? Yep, that's uh, the end of Annie Chapman. Let's get over there. You want to? Yes, crime okay, scene uh, number two. Okay, let's run over, Chuck. Be, be, hang back, man. Let the cops do their work. But I just want to show you a couple of things. Okay. Uh, why, by the way, are we at victim number two and not victim number one? Well, victim number one uh, was the one that kicked all uh, kicked off the canonical murders. But Annie Chapman, who whose dead body we're looking at right now, right. is... Um, She's she uh, her wounds and what happened to her is much more characteristic of Jack the Ripper. I just kind of wanted you to get an impression. I am uh, impressed then. Yeah, some bad things happened to this poor lady. Okay, hang hang back, Chuck. Let's let the uh, let's let the cops do their work. Oh god, they're, uh, they're starting. You, I just want to show you a couple. Wow. Things. Just bear with me for a second. All I see is blood. Yeah, it's pretty bloody. Um, but there's a there's actually a lot of detail um, that these investigators are eventually going to pick up on. Yeah. Uh, which will be an in, in M.O. Should you suggest something at this point, or do you just want to hang back? I think we should hang back. Okay. But um, notice that um, th- this is Annie Chapman. She was a casual prostitute. Yeah. Um, now, what does that mean? It means that she she made ends meet by okay. uh, engaging in prostitution. So yeah. I'm sorry, by the way, Ms. Chapman. I know. I feel kind of bad standing here like this. But Yeah, it's right. true, though. Um, so uh, if you'll notice, Chuck, she's on her back, and her... Um, her, she she's been she's bled out of her throat unfortunately yeah but uh, one thing I want you to notice and this is going to become a, uh, um, a I guess characteristic of the Ripper murders sure calling card if you will sure um, her legs do you see how they're bent at the knee yeah they're arched up and then they're laying off to the side yeah it looks like some sort of childbirth thing I actually have a theory about that we'll get to later oh theory okay yes all right well that's pretty much all I wanted you to see these wow. guys are um, we're, we're witnessing an exercise in futility. These guys are never going to figure out who did this. But uh, Yeah, it looks like she's uh, been cut up pretty good. Yeah, so you want to get out of here? You okay? Uh, I'm feeling queasy. All right, well, let's get out of here. It could just be the mead. Okay. All right, let's get to the Wayback Machine, Chuck. Okay, so Chuck, how, how do you feel? 
Uh, nauseous, a bit hungover. You look sober as day. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, frightening. Yeah. So, Chuck, that was Annie Chapman. Yeah, it was. Um, and she is the second of what they call the canonical murders or yes. the Ripper murders, right? Yeah, the Whitechapel murders. Right. So, uh, in the fall of 1888, uh-huh. from August 31st to November 9th, there were five murders um, that are among the grislier murders ever committed in, in Great Britain, possibly anywhere. Yeah. And there were other murders, but these are attributed to one Jack the Ripper. Yes, that's right, Chuck. Um, these five, as we said, the canonical murders uh-huh. uh, at the time and throughout history since then, right. these five are definitely attributed using uh, M.O. Sure. and um, uh, comparing the bodies, that kind of stuff, which we'll get into later. Yes, we will. It's possible that there are other murders. Um, in particular, there was one woman who uh, was murdered uh, on August 7th, 1888. Remember the first one, um, Marianne Pauly Nichols, was murdered on August 31st, 1888. Right. So it's possible he had another first victim named Martha Tabram, who was a murdered prostitute. Right. Uh, and he may have um, started practicing on her. Hers was a little less precise than you'll remember Annie Chapman's was, right? Yeah, I think so. So uh, she, she, the, the reason people think that she might be an extra ripper murder uh-huh. um, is that her legs were spread Right. You'll notice that, like you said, in the childbirth position, yeah, yeah, uh, most of the women, if not all of the canonical murders, uh, were found like that. Yeah, I have uh, a theory on that. We'll get to that, though. Okay, all right. So, Chuck, um, London, let's talk about the backdrop. Yeah, uh, London's East End at the time, very poor. Extremely poor. And um, the pubs were open all night, and uh, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of disease, a lot of opium, as you know. It's not a very pleasant place to be. No, it's not. Um, but there are families trying to make it here. Again, it's it's mainly just poverty. Yeah, a lot of, like you said, casual prostitution. There was a lot of that going on. Just to make ends meet. Absolutely. One of the things that makes the Ripper murders stand out so much is that this this they weren't the only people to be murdered. There were some really brutal crimes committed around that same time. Yeah, not a great place to be. No, but... It really says something about the Jack the Ripper murders and the grip that it had on the people um, in London's yeah. East End. Sure. Um, that they stood out against this backdrop, this yeah. horrible, bleak, violent backdrop. Oh, yeah. And in a way, actually, people have later on talked about how it sort of exposed this dirty secret of the poverty in London and kind of brought it to light more so than anyone else could at the time yeah i think the uh, murders. i think george bernard shaw the uh, playwright said yeah, he, that jack the ripper um succeeded where social reformers had failed right by shining a spotlight on the living conditions in sure. london's east end that's so, one way to do it yeah and he had a whole lot of other impacts he was a lot of firsts in a lot of ways and we'll talk about that in a little bit yes but let's go over the victims the canonical victims chuck okay how much detail do you want to go into here because uh it is grisly. As much as you'd like, buddy. As much as you can stomach. Well, the first, like you said, was uh, Marianne uh, Polly Nichols, and uh, she was 44. She was an alcoholic, like most of her cohort uh, victims. Yeah, that was uh, definitely a um, the the th- common thread for all yeah. the women, is that they were either drunk at the time or were known to love the liquor. Right, and the other through line there is that they were all known to be prostitutes, at least casually, here and there. Right. And uh, a lot of uh, people suspect that 
Jack, you know, he some people thought he may have like hated prostitutes, but it was probably just an easy mark. A drunk hooker, sure, would be an easy person to kill at five thirty in the morning in London. Definitely, especially a drunk hooker in need of money. In need of exactly, yeah. So, uh, so Polly was the first one. She was killed at about, uh, or she was found at three forty-five in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, throat From cut. Bucks row. Yeah. Uh, severe lacerations in her throat and further incisions and uh, to her neck and violent lacerations to her abdomen. Which uh, makes her um, a lot like Martha Tabram. Mm-hmm. She was stabbed, I think, thirty-nine times to her abdomen. Yeah, they're all slightly different. I noticed. But if you look at it, especially if you start with Martha Tabram and go. Uh-huh. All the way up to his last uh, known victim, Mary Jane Kelly, it's almost like a pro- you can see the progression. True. At first, it's all just rage, sure. and then it becomes much more methodical after he gets more right. comfortable with what he's doing. True. So we talked about Annie as well. We witnessed Annie. Yeah. Uh, then I think next was Elizabeth Stride, right? Yeah, Lizzie Stride. She's 45. Right. And um, she was drunk at the time. She also engaged in uh, casual pro- prostitution. Um, and, but she was seen alive, um, refusing a proposition. Right. And she also was seen speaking with a man and holding a parcel wrapped this, in a, like a newspaper parcel. Yeah. This man pops up, uh, several times actually in the canonical murders. Yeah. The shabby genteel. That uh-huh. was actually the actual description. Yes. Um, so she's last seen at 1235 AM on Sunday, September 30th, 1888. And, uh, 25 minutes later, she's found in uh, a dark alley off Burner Street called uh-huh. Dutfield Yard. Yes. Uh, she, her legs are very familiarly by now pulled up to her, toward her body, uh, knees in the air spread. And, uh, she has a kerchief tied around her, her neck. Yes. But she interestingly was not mutilated, which suggests to, uh, historians that he may have been interrupted before he could complete his whole thing right and they definitely think he was interrupted because uh about an hour or so later another ripper victim turns up yes Catherine uh edows yeah. she was uh 46 and uh-huh. she was a heavy drinker as well uh but she was intelligent and educated and actually i just read a thing last week where they just discovered the census uh, yeah the census records uh-huh. i believe just like a week ago revealed some of these uh people for the first time and their backgrounds weren't as as grisly as you might have thought a lot of them were smart and had families and right but like um uh what what's her name annie chapman's daughter dying right. broke up the family sure. they had yeah they had when you talk about them you think oh engaged in casual prostitution and were drunks they were obviously idiots you right. know but no these these people had actual real lives um, and real things happened to them that led them to these these points where they were murdered by the Ripper. Yeah. Um, and also that that's a really good point, Chuck, because it's really hard for us to put ourselves into that situation of what it was like at the time. Sure. Um, but these were real people dying in really brutal ways, mm-hmm. and at the time. It was. It had a real impact on the collective psyche of the people who lived in London. Oh yeah, you know we're talking um, paranoia, fl- uh, mobs forming. Yeah, let me tell you a little story about a guy named Squibby. Okay, there's a man named Squibby who used to have run-ins with the police. He was uh, tattooed from head to toe, is how they described it. And uh, Squibby, um, you want to go see him, Chuck? Yeah, let's go see Squibby. See him? 
Yeah. He's a weird-looking little guy, isn't he? He is. Do not make eye contact with Squibby, Chuck. Don't he worry. will punch you in the face just as soon as look at you. Well, my eyes are closed, so. Okay, well, Squibby is tattooed from head to toe. He's a short little guy, but real stocky and strong, uh-huh. kind of like Glenn Danzig. Sure. Uh, and he um, he has run-ins with the police routinely. Oh, yeah. There were a couple of detectives who were down um, in uh, Whitechapel, Around the time of the Ripper murders. By this time, the the public had been whipped up into a frenzy. Oh, big time. And um, they knew Squibby by sight, obviously. He's a pretty notable guy. Right. Uh, and they had a couple of truncheons. Each each one had a truncheon. They started chasing Squibby. Uh, and this crowd, apparently, who had gathered uh, outside of, I think, um, Catherine Eddow's murder. Uh-huh. Um, saw the police chasing Squibby and just immediately assumed that it was Jack the Ripper. So this huge mob formed, right? And they're running through the streets after Squibby and, and the police, actually. They, right. they were chasing him because they figured it was the Ripper and they were going to kill him. Finally, they get Squibby to the police station and the mob just throngs the station and stays for like several hours until they finally realize it wasn't Jack the Ripper. Right. It was just some guy. That's good stuff. Yeah, it was. Poor Squibby. Yeah. So, Chuck, while we're here, um, do you want to just fast forward a few days? Yeah, might as well, since we have the Wayback Machine. Can you do this one more time? I will be there blindfolded, and you can just describe it to me. All right. Well, Chuck, listen, we're going to go into a place called Miller Court. It's an apartment house. Uh, It's about um, 1045 in the morning, and a rent collector has just found the body of Mary Jane Kelly. Uh, yeah, because he ran screaming from the apartment like we should be doing right now. Well, let's just just uh, steal yourself, Chuck. Yeah, steal, the... courage, man. Okay. Um, we're we're gonna wait for the cops to show up because um, well, this is hands down the worst, uh, the worst mutilation of any of his victims. Yeah, because uh, she's clearly inside here, the only one that's inside. So I guess he had a little more time to to get busy, huh? Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I, I didn't bring you back here just to make you vomit, Chuck. Um, oh, okay. This is uh, this is this crime scene in and of itself is very important as far as Jack the Ripper goes, and as far as the murders go. Right. How so? Well, for one, um, there's evidence that an axe was used on this poor lady. Yeah. Wow. Uh, which is unusual for Jack the Ripper. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But he also did a lot. Of, he used a lot of surgical precision and removed organs and and chunks of flesh and all sorts of disgusting things is you you okay yeah it looks like her face almost has been removed here all right hey over here buddy the cops are coming okay okay well watch watch right did someone just take a photograph good eye chuck that's exactly why i wanted you to see this what's up that is arguably the first crime scene photograph ever taken in You're the kidding. history of humankind. Jeez. Yeah, and what it's a, a pretty it turned out pretty grainy, but if you ever see it and you're aware of what happened to Mary Jane Kelly, yeah. uh it's a pretty disturbing photograph. Like if you're just looking at it, it's yeah. the the you see what the guy's working with. It's not like the most high-tech camera around. Sure, there's a sketch artist over there too. Yeah. <laughs> That's got to be a lot of fun. But what we're witnessing right here is the culmination of uh this String of murders. This is the last canonical murder, right. as far as anybody knows, that is definitively attributed to Jack the Ripper. Well, in most people's minds. So you want to uh, you want to take off, pal? You look a little green. Well, I just feel like we should say before we go. If I'm not mistaken, I see body parts under her head mm-hmm. and on the side table. Yes, you do. Why did he do that? Uh, he was a sicko. He was Jack the Ripper. Yeah, there, there you go, right there. So right. Let, let's get out of here, buddy. Then a cop just kind of looked over at us. So. Yeah, seriously, let's yeah. go.
so Chuck, we now have the canonical victims. We've seen two of them. We've talked about the rest of them. There were some other ones that's, that are possible. Um, there's the Whitehall mystery victim, a, yeah. a headless, limbless torso uh-huh. that was found actually in the basement of Scotland Yard as it was under construction um, uh, on October 2nd, which is actually within the time frame of the right. Ripper murders, but um, they never said that this one is a right. ripper and there was a one uh, body found in new york actually yeah that people think that jack the ripper might have fled england which is why the murder stopped in london yeah and then uh did a little handy work there in uh, new york city it's possible and there's actually a suspect who who was there at the time of the murder of carrie brown aka old shakespeare as she was named because she used to love to get drunk and quote shakespeare sonnets well that's nice yeah until she died right um, so there are actually plenty of other ones that are, were never definitively attributed to him. But so let's just stick with the five, possibly six canonical murders. We okay. talked about that, right? Yeah. So Chuck, uh, now that we have the the five bodies, um, we can put together what's known as a modus operandi, aka yes. an MO. Yeah. And aka, that. by the way, stands for also known as right. Uh, his MO, Josh. He struck in the early hours. He struck on weekends. Which, Chuck, why is this significant? Well, because it uh, would lead the detectives to believe that he probably had a uh, was a regular guy and had a, a regular workday job. Right, and was probably single. Because yeah, because he wouldn't have aroused suspicion from the wife by leaving at you know, all hours of the evening. And, Chuck, that, that, that also kind of sounds like, well, maybe his wife is loyal. No. People were, neighbors were turning in neighbors for suspicious oh, yeah. activity, saying, my neighbor's Jack the sure. Ripper. Um, people were going absolutely nuts. So they think that he was single or else somebody would have come forward and been like, yeah. my husband's been going out and coming back with blood on his clothes yeah, yeah, yeah. on the night of the Ripper murders. I have a theory that he was previously married and his wife uh, couldn't give him a child. And that's, oh, is why that he, what, that's what I think. That's where the childbirth position yeah. came up? Chuck, my <laughs> friends, has just turned into a budding ripperologist. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Uh, other clues, Josh. He uh, strangled all but one of his uh, victims mm-hmm. initially. Right. That was the, the method of death. Um, and then he would um, cut op- their throat. He would cut their throat. Sure. And remember, he cut from left to right because yeah. he was light, right-handed. Yeah. And he would he would kneel on the victim's right side mm-hmm. and cut so that the blood spurted away from him. Yeah. And largely drained out of the carotid artery. Yeah. My idea is he probably bled them out so when he was doing all his uh, handiwork, he it, wouldn't get sprayed. Yeah. And there wouldn't just be blood everywhere. So r- right now that that suggests number one a a working knowledge of anatomy. Sure. Um, number two. Somebody who is clever and doesn't want to get caught. Right. That's a huge one. Oh, yeah. Um, back in Whitechapel uh, in, in, during this time, the police were working on the theory that he was clearly a raving madman. Yeah. And it was actually a really bad time to be insane in Whitechapel because yeah, they a number people. of people were just committed. They'd be picked up during police dragnets and taken to insane asylums for the rest of their lives. Um, the police spent a lot of time in Whitechapel chasing Squibby, um, corralling the insane, and interviewing suspects. Yep. And um, modern forensic investigators today believe that Scotland Yard or the Metropolitan Police probably interviewed the, the Ripper at some point, but let him go because they were looking for somebody crazy. Right. And they don't think that Jack the Ripper was – they called him frighteningly normal. Sure. Today. Yeah, exactly. 
So, Chuck, what are some other clues? Uh, well, they, in, two, in 06, they, uh, Scotland Yard actually put together a physical description. Mm-hmm. That's 2006. Right. So just a few years ago. Right. Uh, they uh, reckoned he was between 25 and 35, mm-hmm. uh, medium height, stocky, and a resident of Whitechapel, and like you said, very much normal. Right. And uh, in 1988, the FBI actually did a psychological profile. This is the case that just won't die. Oh, no. I mean, ripperologist, it's... I, I literally looked the other day, and there were four or five new possible suspects within the past like year. Yeah, that people are still naming. Right. Who we'll get to in a minute. Right? Yes, we will. Okay. And um, let's talk about the FBI profile. Yes, yeah, Special was... Agent John Douglas is who did this. And, right. Uh, he said he was opportunistic, like you. Yeah. Like you said, I should say no, <laughs> yeah. you're not. I'm an opportunistic killer, right? Uh, like, like I said, with uh, the drunk prostitutes being a pretty easy mark, right? They also uh, think that. Well, Douglas also suggests that um, he was a lust killer, which is not to be confused with any level of sexuality. Yeah, he did not have sex with any of these women. No, but some people do think it's possible that Jack the Ripper was a cannibal, and possibly that some of the stuff he took along with him uh, right. weren't just trophies, but were food as well. Oh, wow! Actually, there's a letter. Called from the from hell letter, the that, controversial from hell letter. All yeah, there are a lot of letters. Um, there were a uh, couple hundred, from what I understand, sent to the cops, sent to the press, sent, sent all the way up into the 1960s. They were still getting letters <laughs> yeah, from Jack the Ripper. Right, right. Um, a couple of women were actually prosecuted for fraud for writing um, fake Jack the Ripper letters. Um, there was, there's one letter out of these many hundreds that a lot of ripperologists today believe actually was written by Jack the Ripper. It's called the Dear Boss Letter. Dear Boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about Leather Apron gave me real fits. I am down on horse. And I'll shack quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work that last job was. I'll give the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work, and I want to start again. You'll soon hear of me and my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. The next job I do. I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work and give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck just yet. They say I'm a doctor now. And Chuck, one of the reasons why this letter is so significant, number one, it's the letter that gave um, the name Jack the Ripper to the killer. Right. And number two, um, it made a reference to taking a piece of his next victim's ear. Right. right? Well, uh, that letter was received September 27th, 1888. And on September 30th, um, Catherine Eddowes was found. Right. Remember, she was the second victim on the same night, and part of her ear was removed. Indeed. So now, was it published before that? It was, which, I mean, you could 
you can definitely take that as evidence that right. it, what that the Ripper read about it and decided to take the ear. But right, because there uh, there's a historian. This was actually this year. He uh, wrote a book. Is uh, named Dr. Andrew Cook, and he thinks that there were a bunch of different killers, and he actually uh, allegedly says that Frederick Best uh, was a reporter for the Star newspaper, and he said he forged the Dear Boss letter. Really? Yes. He said he forged it, invented the name Jack the Ripper to uh, sell newspapers because they were a new startup newspaper, Mm -hmm. and they were about to close their doors, and their uh, sales just like went through the roof after this letter. So that's what he alleges. There there are also a lot of Ripperologists believe that none of the letters... Um, were written by Jack the Ripper and that they were all pretty much made up by the press or made up by crazy people or whatever, but none of the letters were written by Jack the Ripper is another way to look at it. Right, and he uh, unearthed an interview given by a guy named Percy Clark, and he was the assistant police surgeon in Whitechapel, Mm -hmm. and he said, quote, I think perhaps one man was responsible for three of them. I would not say he did the others. And then another senior investigating officer said the same thing, that he didn't think that the last victim, that Kelly, was uh, a victim of the Ripper, but a copycat killer as well. So really? Who knows? Yeah, well, that's the point, though, isn't it? I mean, like, if if, if you're looking for one murderer 100 and, 120 years on, um, that's difficult enough. Sure. Imagine looking for three or five killers well, 120 years on. One of the other reasons why this, is, this case will likely never be solved is a lot of the evidence is just gone. Um, they investigated Jack the Ripper for three years and then finally closed the case as unsolved. And uh, around the time, and probably before then, um, cops working the case uh, or cops that had access to the evidence room just took evidence as souvenirs, mementos. Sure. Um, I believe a lot of the records, if not all the records, were um, destroyed in a fire. Right. Um, or destroyed because they had uh, reached their shelf life of being kept as, as records. Right. So, I mean, there's there's really not a lot of evidence anymore. No, and, you know, this was clearly a different day. They, w- they would have caught him today. Probably pretty easily. Maybe. That's what I think. It's possible. So let's talk about some of the suspects, Chuck. Well, there's more than 100 that have been named throughout the years. Yeah, uh, I've read 170 different people have yeah. been named as suspects. Well, and there's it looks like three or four new ones a year now still. So Right. Do you want to talk about the most recent one, Man? Uh, yeah, that was a Discovery Channel show... Uh, I think it was on last week, where a historian named uh, Mai Trow used modern forensics, and he identified one Robert Mann. Mm-hmm. And this one actually, but see, that's the thing. Anytime I read, like I thought Walter Sickert was after hearing that uh, mm-hmm. Cornwall uh, lady talk about Sickert being, we'll, we'll get to him. Right. But my point is, anytime I've, I've seen a show or a special, I come away thinking, oh, well, that was Jack the Ripper. Right, <laughs> exactly. They make a real convincing argument. Yeah, um, I went on uh, casebook.org, um, which... I wrote uh, How Jack the Ripper Works, the article that we base this podcast on, um, and, and I defer humbly to the people who run and go on face or Casebook, oh, sorry, yeah. .org. Um, Facebook, if, entirely if, different. If your uh, interest has been the least bit piqued by this, I, I strongly recommend, well, number one, going to HowStuffWorks.com to read the article, but then number two, going to Casebook, sure. because they have everything. Right. So um, I went on to Casebook to see what... They thought of man, and uh, sure enough, like the 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 uh, I don't think the documentary had even premiered yet, and everybody had read the man's book, um, and were just tearing him apart. Which coincidentally is the second book to be titled "Case Closed." <laughs> yeah, 
which I think is pretty funny. Yeah, Everyone I, says, I found it, case closed. Right. And uh, ripperologists don't take very kindly to this kind of thing. They, oh, I'm sure. They, these, these people uh, are amateur historians, amateur criminologists, mm-hmm. um, all rolled into one, and they just this is just what they do. Uh, and a lot, once in a while, somebody will come along, you know, do some research, write a book, and, and slap case closed on the title. And they do not like exactly. that. Well, let's let's go over man real quick. Okay. Uh, he was a morgue attendant in Whitechapel. He was a an inmate at a prison, well, and he yeah. ran the morgue. Yeah. Or he was an attendant at the morgue. He was he was in charge of uh, receiving bodies. I think. Yeah, specifically the bodies of the people that they believe he killed. Three of them. And uh, interestingly. W- or they say damningly in this article, he he actually undressed Polly Nichols' body uh, with his assistant, and he was under strict orders not to do anything like that. And a lot of people say that this is why, you know, he may have been trying to admire his uh, his handiwork there, right? Yeah, and show it off to his buddy. And uh, I think somebody made a point on Casebook that uh, this would probably be the first time that the body revisited the killer rather than ah. the other way around. The the problem with man that I as I understand it was that he was an inmate in a prison, right? It's pretty much as simple as that. Sure. Even with a tremendous amount of freedom uh, that he might have had with a job, he would have still had that job at the prison. Could he have just come and gone as he pleased? I don't know. Um, to go murder women, especially on weekends, right? So, um, I think that was the biggest problem that I ran across with man. Uh, and also, his uh, testimony was discounted at the time because uh, his boss basically said, this man is prone to fits. Sure. And uh, his, he, he's not to be believed. Right. But modern, uh, what the uh, forensic psychologist at Liverpool University said, uh, in terms of psychological profiling, he's one of the most credible s- suspects from recent years. And the closest we may ever get to a plausible psychological explanation, so... Who knows? Once again, case closed, but is it? Yeah. So now Cornwall? Yeah, let's get to Cornwall. She had a particularly, um, let's say, difficult relationship with ripperologists. Yeah, they don't like her. No. Because and for she, uh, good reason. Yeah, she blamed uh, Walter Sickert, who was a painter. Very famous painter. Yeah, at the time. Uh-huh. And he was known for painting uh, nudes of women who... Uh, were they butchered or were they just? It depends on your interpretation. Okay, it, that's it what was I thought. Wide open for interpretation. Some people said they were dead women, dead nude women. Mm-hmm. But when you look at like what's the one painting? Uh, Camden Town Murder. Yeah, it's called the Camden Town Murder, and it's a, a naked woman on the bed, and there's a man dead. sitting on the edge of the bed with his hands in his face. Yes, and he looks like he's overcome with guilt for just murdering the woman. But what is the alternate title of that painting? Uh, what shall we do for rent? Was the was the alternate title, which if you look at it through those eyes, it could be a depressed man uh, and his wife. Yeah, you know she was naked, sure, but who wasn't? And uh, from what I understand about Walter Sicker, I would not put it past him um, to be fully aware that he was toying with the public uh, with stuff like this and enjoying it. But sure. that doesn't necessarily mean he was a murderer. Um, Cornwell was one of the ones who uh, titled her book "Case Closed." Right. Um, and she apparently strode into the world of ripperology, uh, uh, fairly arrogantly, one could say. Um, and she used to, I guess on her book tour, her lecture tour, when the book was released, it was heavily attended by ripperologists who were looking to rip her a new one. Um, and she did not like them one bit. She compared them to Trekkies, yeah. um, very, uh, demeaningly. And, uh, she also, it came out, 
that during the course of researching the book, she purchased a secret painting for a substantial amount of money so she could tear it apart. Yeah. To look for clues. Yeah. She found nothing. Uh-uh. And the curator of a uh, major secret collection in London called her monstrously stupid for doing that. So I, I was always amused by that. Yeah. She kind of hung her case on, uh, she collected, uh, mDNA, mitochondrial DNA. Mm-hmm. And she was able to rule out, comparing it to the letters that were sent, um, that 99% of, of the people could not have been responsible. But Walter Sickert could have. And yeah. the other thing with the uh, the mitochondrial DNA is, she, while she'll tout that 99% of the people are excluded, mm-hmm. she doesn't really point out that that still left about 50,000 other people that could have been the murderer. Sure. She made it sound like everyone but Walter Sickert right. had been uh, absolved. Well, on the other side, Walter Sickert was very well known as a, uh, a prolific writer of letters to the editor. Right. Um, and so he very well may have written a Ripper letter. But that's a huge leap in logic to say that he True. wrote a, a Ripper letter, so he he was the Absolutely. Ripper. So, Chuck, my money's not on Walter Sickert, um, and he's not the only famous person to be named as a suspect. Lewis Carroll yeah. was uh, suggested as a suspect, I don't think, by any any of the police. No, they pulled. Uh, they supposedly pulled anagrams from some of his books that everyone else is like, oh, come on. Um, Prince Albert Victor was uh, thought to be maybe some uh, yeah. diabolical madman. In the, the, Went uh, mad with syphilis. Yes. That's what they say. Yeah. Um, and the entire royal family has been implicated in another theory. Yeah. The Freemasons? The Freemasons. Can't forget them. They're implicated in everything, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but then there's some lesser known people who usually actually make better suspects than, you know, the entire royal family. Right, Chuck? I would say so. And they actually, well, they end up naming officially three suspects in the actual case before they closed it. Right. Police Commissioner Sir Neville McNaughton um, wrote in 1889 who he thought the three best suspects were. In in uh, his final report, he wrote, um, he named Michael Ostrog, uh, a Russian physician and convicted thief, Montague John Druitt, who is a physician um, and who was found drowned in the Thames, uh, the December after the murders, and Aaron Kosminski, who was an insane man. Um, and these were McNaughton's three top picks. Right. Um, unfortunately, probably not. Michael Ostrog was found in 2002 in a book by Philip Sugden uh, that he was actually in police custody during the time of the murders in, in Paris. Um, Montague John Druitt, possibly... Um, if he died in December, that would definitely explain why the murders ended suddenly. Sure. And then Aaron Kosminski, um, he was, he was in, he was crazy, but he wasn't violent at all. Right. Um, and most people don't think it was him. I shouldn't say most people. There are some that probably think it's him, but I don't personally. My money instead is on Severin Klausowski, aka George Chapman. All right. Why do you think he did it? Well, let me retract that. Um, he's, I don't know enough about it to say that he is, the, he's my lead suspect. From the people I know of, he's, the, he's my lead suspect. He was a man who had a nasty little habit of poisoning his wives. And he did it to three of them. Right. After the Ripper murders. Uh, he was finally caught on the third one because somebody finally figured out, hey, this guy's wives are in no way related to one another and yet they keep dying from this mysterious illness. Yeah. And they um, they found that he'd poisoned one, exhumed the other two, and he was convicted of all three. 
uh, and this was in the United States, but he'd been living in Whitechapel at the time during the murders. Um, he had a, uh, he was trained as a physician, um, and he moved to America and lived in New Jersey at the time that that one New York right. possible Ripper murder took place. So the, the, the big question is, if Klausowski was the guy, why would he change his M.O. so draft, drastically? Yeah. From butchering women to poisoning wives. Yeah. That's, I don't think up. anyone's ever switched gears like that. Right. But out of all of them, out of all the Ripper suspects, he's the only one that has been convicted of three murders. He's the only True. known serial murderer in the bunch, which is why my, my money's on him. Yeah, that's a good one. Who's your favorite? Uh, I th- I like the Robert Mann. That makes sense. Do you? Yeah. That's that's who my money's on. Uh, that's I think there's, you said a hundred, hundred and seventy suspects have been named. And again, if you're interested in this, uh, go on to Casebook. They have detailed descriptions of every single suspect. Indeed. But let's talk about the legacy left by the Ripper, Chuck. Yeah, I mean it was it was probably the first crime scene photo ever taken. Yeah. It was the first big, um, I think, international murder case. Mm-hmm. That was known throughout the world. It was the first case of uh, symbi- the the now well known symbiotic relationship between a serial murderer and the press, big time. Where the uh, the press gives the serial murderer, um, you know, infamy uh-huh. that that he or she requires. Yeah, uh, and then the serial killer gives the press, you know, fodder for articles. Sure, and uh, I think further, uh, I think the Zodiac killer sent letters to the editor, and mm-hmm. that became kind of a thing for serial killers to do later on. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the first times that comparing the bodies to establish an MO yeah. has been used. Basically, um, you can argue that the the um, all modern forensic techniques started kind of piecemeal, but they all started uh, with the Ripper murders. Yep. Yeah. I would agree with that. <laughs> right and like we said before, the um, Ripper murders... Uh, shown a light on the living conditions in the East End uh-huh. of London, uh, and led to real change. I think uh, sanitation was introduced largely. Um, there was a lot more interest in the plight of the poverty-stricken than there had been before. Right. It's, and Chuck, also, there's clearly a pretty big legacy left behind uh, in the form of ripperologists, um, uh, countless TV shows, movies. Oh yeah. Um, From hell. From hell, that mm-hmm. was that was unsettling. You know, there's a video game coming. I heard, and uh, Jack the Ripper is going to be a superhero that fights demons. Yeah, he's a he's actually a, an antihero, but yeah. he's misunderstood. Sure, the killings were was it demons or vampires? Uh, both, oh. all, all manner of imps and lesser demons. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, and there's a conference every year, right? Uh, I don't know if it's every year, but. Um, this year, actually, it was just last week in London. First time they ever had it in London. Oh, and yeah. They rented a pub for the entire weekend. So that's, that sounds like an awesome conference so far. Yeah, they have speakers, and from 7 uh, to 11 every night is entertainment and disco. Disco. Yeah. Jack the Ripper conference disco. Yep, so Sweet. that sounds like a nice way to end this, an upbeat way to end this. Which, if you consider, is highly ironic, because Indeed. this is definitely our grisliest podcast yet. Yeah, it's not going to get any more grisly. Yeah, so uh, obviously we do this one for Halloween, so have a safe and happy Halloween, everybody. And if you have any ideas about who Jack the Ripper might be, and if it's not your neighbor, that would be fantastic, you can put it in an email. Send it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For 
more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?